Live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios in Knoxville, it's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Here are your hosts, John Reed and Bob Baskerville. Back in the booth, back on the airwaves, coming at you live from the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. Happy Thursday morning to you. John Reed, Bob Baskerville, Sam Beard, getting your day started. Bob, how are you, my friend? Feeling good. Man, it was nice to wake up and see, uh, turned on the TV, the local news, and to see the temperature was 52 50 degrees, 50 degrees, right off the bat. Felt good. To actually see ground again? Yeah. Hey, I took the primary hill down today. That's I know. A, that's a first. Did feel good to do that. Although I still have my rain boots on, just in case. Uh, but I feel a little dumb because, yeah, it's a little, it was a little balmy yesterday towards the back half of the day. But figured I'd wear them one more day. Sam, what about you? How are you? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, right there with Bob. Excited to see this snow melt away. Um, I, I had my fun in it for, for like two days, and then I've just been wishing it away ever since. So I'm glad it's gone, and I'm glad we got some decent weather. And I've never been more excited to see some rain than I am now, too. I want to get rid of this. This takes me back to when I was growing up in the Midwest, all that gross, dirty snow yeah. and whatever's left. We don't see much of that here in Tennessee, so... Um, yeah, it'll be gone here hopefully in the next day or so. This is a top-tier rain, but I will say there, there were plenty of times in the summer where it got pretty dusty yeah, out on true. the farm, and you hadn't rained in a month that you're just begging, please, we need something. The grass is brown, and I can't stand outside. It's, it's hurting. So I won't say this is the rain I've looked forward to the most, but it, it is nice to kind of get all the nasty stuff off the ground. And I hope I hope that we don't see snow again. For like at least like three years. <laughs> three years? That's how I feel. I don't want to see snow again for three years. Hell, I'd say ten. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've had enough. I grew up with it, so I don't I don't miss it a bit. You don't need snow once you get out of school, Sam. Yeah. No, I've, I mean, I've kind of noticed that already. Yeah. Yeah. When, when it's not school time, snow is just uh, it's pretty to look at, but you want it to be gone pretty soon. Now, you know, maybe, maybe you know, five – Five years or so, you have some kids. You might want to let them experience it. But then, once they're in school, you're like, okay, no more snow because then you gotta, you gotta worry about working while they're at home. And is Knoxville finally back in school today, Bob? Or are they? They are. Okay. They're they're still debating uh, what they're gonna do to, uh, you know, maybe they don't have to because again, they ran out of their snow days. I think yesterday. So if they're back today, they might be okay. There was talk that they may. I think if there's any more inclement weather, they might have to go on some, you know, like Good Friday or things like that to kind of balance it out. Uh, but they're back. They are back. I never understood the crying about one day. At the end of the year, who cares? Just let, yeah. Let, yeah. You're going to fail somebody. Is there like a minimum hours that you have to get for every I'm sure, single I'm grade? I'm sure there are, but like yeah. if, you're, if you're a parent and you're that worried about it, just <laughs> take your kid out of school. It's fine. One, one, <laughs> one day is not going to be the difference between them becoming – 
the president of the United States or or being a lifelong criminal or both. You, you can do both some days. So, like, one day is not going to do it. I don't know if you guys can hear, but I, my, my, my throat's a little a little rough this morning. Talking for three hours is going to be a, a, a work for me today. Hopefully I don't sound too bad, though. You yelling at your TV last night or what? I don't know what the hell I was doing. I think it's the snow. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But that's where I'm at. Playing through injury. I'm hurt, not injured. So here we are. Did you watch that? Uh, any of that Alabama-Auburn game last night? Yeah, yeah, it was a good game. That was, you know, Tennessee got the result I think we needed. Yes. At one point, you know, it looked like Auburn was going to come back and win, and you're like, oh, man, really? Don't let them steal this game. And, yeah, you know, Alabama helped Tennessee out. Yeah. They needed to bounce back themselves after getting embarrassed by Tennessee. And they needed to hand Auburn a loss now that, you know, so everyone's kind of on an even playing field. It was it was an entertaining game to watch. It just reminds me of how how different Tennessee is versus those two teams. And I don't mean that disparagingly for either side. It's just Auburn and Alabama play, you know, sometimes borderline reckless. You know, they're just there was just stuff going on where it was like, you know, I was watching. I was like, "Jesus, slow down, man! Just take a second. The know? first like three minutes of that second <laughs> half were the was the definition of that. Like, geez, just slow down a little bit and yeah, take it easy. Yeah, but I mean, it works. You know, that's that they play that odds game. That man, when it's on, it it works well for them. But uh, yeah, it was quite a game. Um, and I'm I'm really growing over time. I don't know if you saw because I saw a little bit of it in the Tennessee game too. Mark Sears has definitely got. He, he he's a talker, man. And you know, I don't know if you saw there was one point they they called a foul or dead ball or something, he like kinda flung the ball at an Auburn player <laughs> kinda casually and I don't think anything happened by it, but it was just I don't know. He he's his coach is rubbing off on him, is what I feel. He's a good player, but I don't know. Did that game legitimize Auburn to you, or were you already kinda convinced that they were a legitimate threat? Good question. I um I I feel they're kind of who I thought they were. Really, I still I mean I think they're they're a good team. I just I found you and I have talked about it. I found I find it hard to believe that they were kind of the leading candidate to win the conference. In my opinion, it's a good team, but I I just um I still stand by that. But they've got some players. I mean, Janai Broom played great, and Aiden Holloway was a kid Tennessee wanted, right? Uh, yeah, that I name mean, sounds they, familiar. I mean, they were pursuing heavily. Um, he's another he, – he had a hell of a play early in the game. I don't know if you saw the one where he drove and then kind of spun in midair and dumped it off to a wide-open guy. I mean, they they got some talent. Um, Alabama's the team I still I'm, – I'm, I'm less impressed with Alabama than I am Auburn. But, I mean, obviously Alabama won the game, but – Take Sears out of the picture. Grant Nelson played a lot better than he did against Tennessee, but uh, they just, I don't know, they don't do much for me. My thoughts on Auburn are that, well, A, they, they missed another chance for their first quad one win. They are now 0-3 against quad one opponents. Still yet to break through, but only three chances so far. But, like, I saw a stat yesterday that said their bench units, whenever they play their bench, is the 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 best five in the country in terms of net rating. Now, obviously, 
Uh, the minute sample is not going to be as big as some of the other starting fives in the, in the country, of course, if it's your bench five. But, like, to me, A, that shows, okay, they're deep. I get it. They're, they're going to play, you know, last night they played 11 guys at least seven minutes, but they played 10 guys at least 11 minutes. And, you know, that's – that's or I guess 10 guys at least 10 minutes. That's a uh, a deep team. But to me, that's not really a recipe for long-term success. And – when you play in the conference against good opponents, especially on the road, you can't really rely on that. And like you saw it last night, Broom was awesome, 25 and 14. But but outside of him, they didn't have that second guy really step up. Their next leading scorer had 11 points. Those are the only two guys in double digits. And like – that's fine. You can play 10 guys and you can try to do this whole, we're going to beat you with numbers and just keep coming at you in waves. That's fine. But in basketball and things break down, you, sometimes you just need two or three guys that can get you over the hump. One can't usually do it. You, you need two. And last night, Auburn didn't really have that second guy. And I thought that was kind of their story and, and it kind of makes me wonder about their legitimacy moving forward. You look on the other side, Alabama, you know, they had – Four guys score at least 14 points. I think that Auburn lineup is almost like too deep. They put, yeah. up, they put up some graphic that said uh, 10 guys are averaging 15 minutes a game for them. So, like, I think that probably would need to be like a seven- or eight-man rotation and distribute those minutes a little bit more for them to be more dangerous. But I agree. I just think that they – Jalen Williams just didn't really have anything last night for him. I think if you get probably a better production from him, he's, they're probably winning that game. Yeah, to me, it's unsustainable. Like, it's nice to play 10, 11 guys, but, like, yeah, in basketball, you see it. You need to whittle that down when it comes time for the postseason. I don't want my sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth best player playing the same amount of minutes as my second, third, and fourth best players. It's nice for team camaraderie. I get that. It's nice to feel like you can run through a regular season playing reckless and, and fast and doing all those things. But, yeah, you, you need go-to guys. You want your best guys playing 30, 32 minutes, 33 minutes, and you can't do that if you're having to feed so many mouths. Katie Johnson was uh, in typical form. I saw him flat on the floor, face down on the floor a couple times. He's another one that just uh, – I, I get, you know, suppose he gives them energy, but we've talked about him before. He's A, he's been there forever. B, he's uh, he just looks out of control to me all the time, all the time. Um and then, side note, not not so much about the game itself, but what was, what do you, what were your guys' take on ESPN bringing on? It was like a talk show, you know. There's Jalen Milrow, and then your amateur golfer Dunlap, you know. It was like an Alabama. I, I don't know. I knew at the beginning, although Milrow was already sitting. I mean, I know they had a situation where the lights went out and all that stuff, so they had to vamp a little bit, but. I, I don't know. It just was odd to me. That's all. For a midweek basketball game, that felt really strange to me, too. Yeah. Like, just a random Wednesday night, kind of. I don't know. Yeah. Well, to me, it was one of those situations where, you know, if you're on the other side of it and you're an Auburn fan, you're like, really, what the hell is this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get this off. I'm trying to watch the game. And that's a a bad feeling to be in. We, we've been on the wrong side of those as Tennessee fans before. I would have totally gotten it like if Kalen DeBoer was at the game and they wanted to talk to him for a minute or two, you know, new football coach, yada, yada. But I, I just, uh, I don't know. It, it just struck me as, as odd to maybe do Okay. Again, Milrow comes out. That's one. But then when the second one comes out, it's like, I, I think actually 
the amateur golfer would have been the more logical person I would have expected to see come on. Yeah, does, did, did Milrow get the standing ovation just because they landed that five-star receiver again? <laughs> yeah, they did land their Julio Jones is what they're calling it. Uh, that's Kalen what they DeBoer, said? Kalen DeBoer's Julio Jones. Okay. I mean, that's kind of – What a claim. The, the, the way they tell the story now is that that was like Nick Saban's I'm here moment was when he landed Julio Jones. And, you know, of course, Julio was a, a monster and, and helped, you know, get them to a championship and all that. So, like, they they weren't wrong. You know, I don't know if they were saying that at the time. But, like, yeah, in hindsight, you could be like, hey – that's the moment you knew Nick Saban was for real is when he got Julio Jones and that guy, you know, helped get Alabama over the hump. So that's what they're saying. They say they're saying Kalen DeBoer got their got his Julio Jones. But yeah, if you're an Auburn fan, you're like, man, come on, I don't want to see this right now. I don't, especially like your biggest rival. You, you don't yeah. want to watch that. It was a good game, though. I mean, it was kind of as expected. Uh, you know, I wasn't. I certainly wasn't ex- expecting a blowout, and it looked like it might be in the first half. So Auburn straighten things out um, in their special way. But uh, it was good for Tennessee because now you got three teams at the top of the conference with one loss. Um, you get kind of a redo for losing that Mississippi State game. You yes. know, you, you get a redo. And you didn't want to get deeper into the season because Auburn's schedule does get easier. You needed them to lose at least one game. It would be nice if Mississippi State does you a favor and, and beats them on Saturday as well. And then you could kind of, you know, just – focus on Alabama for a little bit and taking care of your own business. But I I don't know if I'm fully sold on Auburn as legitimate or as good as Tennessee, I guess, is is what I should say. They're legitimate. Yeah. They're legitimate. But, like, I I watched that game and thought Tennessee's better than both of these teams. Yeah. You talk about a redo, and we'll talk more about it later in the show. Team that needs a redo apparently is Arkansas, man. They are – they're they're in trouble. Yeah, muscle men – from things I've seen in the college basketball circles is that he uh, is a big-time candidate whenever Louisville opens, and it's almost like he knows he is and is just waiting for that job to open so he can make the jump to Louisville if they get down to, like, number two or number three on their list. And Sounds like he's trying his best to not get the Louisville job right now. <laughs> well, the, the, players, the players are looking and saying, hey, if we, if we lose, coach can't leave. Let's go ahead and tank that. But, yeah, that, that was something uh, – I thought whenever I see it, because, I mean, they got blown out again. They're bad this year. Yeah. They're bad this year. I don't know if he built the roster like he's been trying over the last handful of years of just, like, transfer portal guys. But if so, he did not find the right combination this year. But talking about SEC and the the odds, you know, Tennessee, I believe, was close to a 2-1 to one underdog going into the day to win the SEC. I think it was, like, one plus 115 for Auburn and, like, plus 185 for Tennessee after the, Auburn's loss last night. It didn't change as drastically as I thought. Auburn still favored at plus 145, but Tennessee in second at, at plus 155, just right behind them. And basically as, as even as you can be without being even. So it does make it now a, uh, a two-team dead heat of sorts. We'll talk some more Tennessee hoops in the third hour as Tennessee assistant basketball coach Greg Polinski is going to join us. We had some big college football news yesterday, though. We'll dive into that after the break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning. Still dodging some rain showers out here in parts of East Tennessee this morning. Give yourself extra time as it builds down 75 southbound. Back on the morning show. The big news of the day, Jim Harbaugh makes it official. 
and heads back to the NFL to coach Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers. He's been wanting to do this for the last couple years. It seemed like he was almost desperate to get back to the NFL. So desperate that, you know, maybe he had orchestrated a whole cheating scandal or been okay with the whole cheating scandal at Michigan to get his wins and losses up so they could get back to the NFL and get out of college. But he finally does it. He heads to Los Angeles. To me, the Chargers, you know, it's a home run. To Harbaugh, it makes perfect sense. You have a franchise quarterback and an underachieving team, and and Harbaugh's track record is as good as it comes in the NFL. Bob, what was your takeaway? I think it's the the right destination for him. It's a win-win. You know, Chargers need to make some sort of splash, particularly in that market. There's just... Yeah, you have the Rams, you have, you know, the Lakers, the Dodgers. Just from a professional sports perspective, you, you it's going to be they've been getting lost in the shuffle, and uh, so I think that that helps them uh, a great deal bringing someone in the caliber of uh, of Harbaugh as a coach, um, and that's where I always felt he would end up. I, I just couldn't imagine him. I know he had been talking with Atlanta and other, you know, maybe maybe it was only Atlanta besides the Chargers, but I just couldn't see him there. Um, so yeah, I, 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 think it's, I think it's the right fit. Uh, he gets out of town at the right time. It kind of reminds me a little bit of, it's kind of Pete Carroll-ish in that regard. You know, I mean, Carroll maybe had more stuff hanging over him than even Harbaugh does, but it's still, it's, it felt some, I felt some similarities there. Yeah. I think the similarities of, of jumping ship at the right moment, definitely there. Um, I don't, I don't think Carroll was as thought of as much of a home run, I guess, right. because of his his lack of NFL success the first go around. But because I mean Harbaugh, I mean Harbaugh's Harbaugh's a stud. I mean his his years in San Francisco. I mean three of them he won at least eleven games. The fourth one, his down year, was eight and eight. So I mean like he he took over a losing franchise. That I mean, just looking at it, the 49ers hadn't had a winning record. From 2003 all the way to 2010. Now, one year they went 8-8, eight and eight, but, like, the rest of those years they had a losing record. And then the first year he's there, he takes them to the conference championship and goes 13-3. and three. So, like, if you're the Chargers, you're looking at that and saying, yeah, like, the, the fact we've been losers for a decade and we're a punchline and just finding ways to lose with Phillip Rivers always having the ball down five with a minute left and no timeouts. Like, Phillip Rivers did that for five years. They'd have the ball, a minute left, him having to try to go down and score, and he's getting close, and he's getting sacked, and then he's kicking the ball, and he's sad, and he's mad. <laughs> and, then, and then Justin Herbert has recreated their ways to lose. Brandon Staley did a good job of kind of recreating how they were going to lose, whether it be, like, going for fourth downs on their side of the field. I went, I, go ahead. I, no, I was just going to say, I went from feeling in his early stage of his career as a coach that he was brash and – taking some risks and I was like, God, I like it. And then, and I'm not even a Chargers fan, but by the end I was like, man, what the hell are you doing? And so you imagine a Chargers fan had to be painful. Well, from whenever I would watch them, you know, like it's one thing if you're the brash, aggressive coach, like Dan Campbell, Dan Campbell gets to be brash and aggressive, but Dan Campbell is going to do that all the time. Like he, he did it in the playoff game last week. He was still going aggressive going for fourth downs near the goal line. 
Brandon Staley's problem was half the time he wanted to be really brash, and the other time he was really scared. He was the the buff dog meme dog meme. That's what he was. Like it, there were sometimes he'd be really stout and really tough, and other times he'd be out. We know, got a punt. It's fourth and one from the forty. You got to do it, and it's like it's like hitting on sixteen and blackjack, Bob. They, they say if you're going to hit on sixteen and blackjack, you yeah. got to hit every time. Yeah. You can't try to do it off field. You gotta be like, ah, oh, you're just, just gonna commit to that strategy and hope the numbers bear out. But it's you can't start being all you know inconsistent with your approach. And that, to me, that was Brandon Staley's biggest problem. Is I just thought he was inconsistent for a while, and then eventually the team just started hating him. And he was a defensive coordinator, and his defense was awful. But Harbaugh's a winner. He's been a winner at Stanford. He was a winner. Was it San Diego State, I guess, where he got started? Or? San Diego U. San Diego U, okay, sorry, yeah. yeah. San Diego U, he was a winner. Stanford was a winner. Michigan, of course, a winner. The 49ers, he was a winner. So, like, I do think this was, to me, maybe the best coach on the market when you look at age and career trajectory. Like, to me, getting Jim Harbaugh may be more impressive than getting Bill Belichick at this point. I think you're right. I, I love it as an NFL fan too, because you know he he brings his uh, his unique personality to the pros now. And um, I always think back to some of those moments, like he had that one where uh, it was against the Lions and Jim Schwartz. Do you remember that they met at midfield yeah. after the yeah. game and just you know he he rubs people the wrong way for sure uh, by whatever he does and. He's a great coach, and I think that little wrinkle just—I think it fits better in the NFL. The NFL's kind of got that level of drama anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited as just a, a football fan in general. Yeah, you know, I wish he was in the NFC, and you know, maybe if the Bears had come come open, I think he would yeah. fit like with the Chicago Bear franchise. But going to LA, you know, I don't know if he makes a dent and makes the Chargers relevant. You know, I don't I don't think they can catch the Rams there who have won a Super Bowl in town. He's not they're not definitely going to catch the Lakers and Dodgers. But like maybe he at least makes them relevant now. Maybe, you know, they're more relevant today than they were yesterday. It's going to be interesting to see like that's a team with certainly they had talent and some offensive weapons. Some guys regressed this year. Austin Eckler did for sure. I had him on my fantasy team and he pretty much killed me at the end of the season. Um, so I, th- I think he's got some weapons. We've obviously talked about Herbert. Uh, a lot of mock drafts are saying that the Chargers, you know, I think they have the fifth pick. A lot of people are forecasting them to make a run at Brock Bowers, which would make sense. Um, I, I don't know where they stand in terms of what they have in terms of salary cap to work with and things like that. Terrible. That's why. They're, I, they're like $30 million over the cap. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a challenge. I, I just think they do have some pieces there more so than what that team looked like at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I guess Brock Bowers would make sense. But if I'm Harbaugh, I, I think – I, th- I think my first priority is kind of trying to get some defensive talent in there because I thought the defense was pretty bad. You hope that, like, Herbert can elevate the offense. And and everyone's been talking for a long time about how good Justin Herbert is. And, you know, you see some throws that make you drop drop your jaw. I mean, he has a really good deep ball. But to me, like, he's just kind of a, a loser and he's been kind of inconsistent. Like, even going back to Oregon, I thought he was a loser. Like, I, I thought that Oregon teams with him kind of underachieved and found ways to blow games that they shouldn't have. Now, you could say whether or not that was him or Cristobal, and that's fine. Like, Cristobal has done it at Miami. 
right? Chris Paul has gone there and continued to kind of be a loser that finds ways to choke games away. And in the NFL, you can look and say it's it's not Herbert, it's Brandon Staley. That guy's terrible. And that's fine. Maybe he's right. Maybe he's just had bad coaching. But starting today, those excuses for Justin Herbert are out the window. Because, like, again, he, he now has a guy that, for my money, is the second best. Or let me rephrase that. He is a top two quarterback developer. He is a top two quarterback guy. I'm not even necessarily saying he is second. He might be first. But for me, it's him. It's Andy Reid. If you want to put Shanahan up there, make it a top three, that's fine with me. When you're looking at across all sports or all NFL or all football levels, I guess I should say, like those are the three guys to me. But his name's on that list, and he's done it at in college. He's done it in the NFL. He did it with Alex Smith. And, you know, got him to elevate his game. He got it with, did it with Colin Kaepernick. He got to college. He did it with J.J. McCarthy. Couldn't really get through to Joe Milton, but, you know, what can you do? <laughs> but now he's got Justin Herbert, a guy we look at as, a, as one of the top talents in the league. And maybe he can get him to put it all together. I was looking, trying to locate, what was their regular season record? Was it 5-12? and 12? That so, sounds right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's a, a leap to say he can get them, you know, in year one to – I do think there's enough pieces there that he could get them to eight and nine, nine and eight. You know, they're competitive in the division. Well, maybe not with Kansas City, but um, maybe in the playoff conversation at least till the last couple weeks of the season. I think that's reasonable. That team, I think they should have been playing that way this year, honestly. Well, qu- well quite frankly, I think that would be a disappointment. Like if they're eight in year and nine, one? yeah. If they're eight and nine, I mean, I just told you, like he took the 49ers over, who hadn't had a winning season in seven years, and he got them to thirteen and three. You know, I'm not asking him to recreate that, and you know, get to the conference championship and be a a fumbled punt away. Like they should have probably won that conference championship. They're at home against the Giants, and you know, their punt returner just fumbled a punt and set the Giants up for a game winning field goal in overtime. Like they could have easily had gone to that Super Bowl, and you know, taken on that Patriots team that I didn't think was you know great by any means. But, yeah, like to me, like the Chargers are kind of in a situation where I think, you know, playoffs are bust and, and 10 and 7 is kind of the numbers I'm looking at. Sam, where do you come in on that side? Like, do you think Harbaugh, the Harbaugh effect is enough to kind of elevate them to that level? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, obviously he's a hell of a coach. And like you said, he's come in and, and won everywhere he's gone at. I think, to be honest with you, I think this this new GM has the hardest job, maybe not Harbaugh. I think this is a. You know, Bob, like you were saying, they don't have any any cap room at all. They're uh, $45 million over the cap for this wow. year, the second least cap space in the uh, in the league behind the Chargers. Uh, Who's number one? Behind the Chargers. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, uh, they, the they, Saints. They Saints. are the Chargers. They are the Chargers. Yeah. Yes, they are. Um, the, Saints, the Saints, I believe, are number one. Yeah, yeah, the Saints have been kicking the can down the road for yeah, a while. For but a they have, they've been able to keep saying the salary cap isn't real. But, like, eventually the bill has to come due for some of these teams. So, okay, the fact the Chargers are so far over, maybe that maybe that changes things. I think you might um, just see some of those vets get cut, though. Sure. Like, Khalil yeah. Max do, like, $40 million. Like, I think you might see him gone. They might move on from, like, a Keenan Allen maybe at this point in his career. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. I mean, okay. So that, that maybe changes things if they're able to – if they're, if they're uh, forced to – Get rid of some of their key contributors. You know, maybe that does afford him. I've heard Bosa is a potential like trade for trade. out there wow. to try and get some, you know, get you know, valuable assets back for him. Yeah, yeah. See, they they kind of missed their window of cheap quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
Now the quarterback's going to get expensive, and yeah. they're going to have to figure out the rest of the team. Yep. We need them to be good, though. I, my favorite uniforms in maybe all of professional sports. I love them, man. I just uh, love seeing them play in those uh, powder, blue, powder blue uniforms. I don't know if I can go that far of saying I need them to be good. I am more interested in them now, though, than I was, you know, the last handful of years. So, like, I, I do like Harbaugh, even if he – Cheated and won a title, and and then ditched the program. Right as you know that maybe the NCAA does something to him. Although hell, who knows? The NCAA doesn't have any teeth left anymore. They're that, an old dog. That's a good question, though. Is he? And I, I have a friend who likes Harbaugh a lot. I I don't find him likable at all. Um, I, I, I can't even. Uh, he's just such a strange personality. Um, that doesn't mean he's a bad person or anything else. I just – he's tough for me to like. He's quirky, and I kind of like it. I mean, it's also – you're able to laugh and make fun of him, too. So, like, you know, the yeah. the sleepover with the high school recruit was weird. The the milk stuff, the chicken stuff, you know, his post-game, his press conferences, his fighting. His khakis. His khakis, yeah. I mean, him trying to fight Jim Schwartz in the NFL. I mean, like in college – he he wasn't perfect there either. So yeah, like he, he is uh he's a character though. He's a character and I, I do find myself liking him. Even going back to his 49ers days, you know, I kinda liked it. I need Schwartz and Harbaugh to recreate that that handshake at the end of the game. <laughs> Schwartz, I I guess, you know, kind of uh I don't know if it's surprising or not, but didn't get any kind of offers to, you know, head yeah. coaching interviews or anything after coaching a pretty good Browns defense. So I don't know if the Browns and uh, Chargers are crossing paths next year, but yeah, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe uh, you know Jim Harbaugh and Dan Campbell or something. You know, we'll just maybe it'll switch it and just be the whoever's coaching the Lions and Jim Harbaugh mixes it up. But yeah, we'll look at it from the Michigan point of view after the break and kind of see what's what's next for them and how it affects college football and how it affects Tennessee and whether or not it does affect Tennessee. Sam says to break. It is the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. Good morning, dense fog all over East Tennessee this morning. Give yourself extra time. It's still running pretty slow now on 40 eastbound between Campbell Station and Lovell Road. Keep that in mind, especially if you're coming up from Loudoun County. Again, 40 east running slow. It's a- we talked about it from the NFL side for a little bit. How does Jim Harbaugh to the NFL affect college football? One of the stranger stats that I can think of was that we had four playoff teams and now we had three coaching changes from those four playoff teams. Like That is a very unique year in terms of coaching stability, obviously. Yeah, I posted that last night. I, I, that's got to be a first, I would think. Mm-hmm. I, that's... Uh... And yeah, and the the one who, the one who st- stuck, which was Sarkeesian, he he was mentioned for a minute in the Alabama job. I mean, there was, I, I just can't imagine there's any been a scenario ever before that's like that. No, I mean because you know most years Nick Saban's going to be in it, so there's one coach that had been yeah been locked in. But yeah, you would now have three of the four playoff teams changing coaches. Michigan now the new one, although 
it does seem almost uh, a certainty that they are just going to promote from within. Teron Moore going to get that job. He coached them to a perfect 4-0 record during Jim Harbaugh's suspension. If you're a Michigan fan, how do you feel about that? Because to me, that feels pretty unsatisfying. Maybe you talk yourself into it, but like to me, it, it to me that that would not excite me. No, the only argument there is consistency, and other than that, I think it's uh, it feels like they're settling. Uh, there's this is obviously a very high profile, attractive, desirable job. You'd have a lot of big names that would be interested in it. Um, so yeah, I, I I would agree with you. I, I no no disrespect to Sharon Moore, but I feel that that's. Again, it's Michigan settling, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, there have been so many names throughout time that have been linked to Michigan, right? That that you know seem to be waiting for that opportunity. Luke Fickle and and Matt Campbell and mostly those two, you know, over the last couple of years. I guess you know Fickle probably would have left Wisconsin for him and was thought of as a as a big time coach. And I don't know if you think of Campbell as a big time coach anymore, but just pretty much any Northwesterner you you look at and say, hey, yeah. That's a Michigan man. He'll go there and save that job. And instead of doing a search and going out and trying to land a big guy, they're going to take a, take a guy already on staff. And I assume, to me, the, the reasoning there is just try to keep, like you said, consistency, stability, but also try to keep that locker room intact and keep that roster right. from kind of suffering a similar fate that Alabama suffered. You know, now that their their thirty day transfer portal window is now open. Yeah, I think that's that's got to be a key consideration for Michigan. They're probably watching what's happened in Tuscaloosa, and that that gives Sharon Moore the inside track. In addition to how he performed, like you mentioned, when uh, he was the fill in head coach while Harbaugh served his suspensions. Um, suspensions plural it's weird to say in one season um yeah and it i i was looking there were this didn't prevent sports media from putting lists out immediately yesterday of possible candidates and you've seen them i'm sure you know no i haven't let's uh let's get them some clicks because like you know, maybe it's not worth talking about, but who are the names that would be linked there well like brian kelly keeps coming up which i still think is I find that curious, only that a lot of it's because he spent time coaching in Michigan, and it's like that's a weird rationale. Um, I'm still not sure that he's a – I think he's a capable coach. I'm not sure his time at LSU is a slam dunk just yet. Um, But uh, that was one. Lance Leipold. Yeah, if you can go and get him out of Kansas, that would be, a to me, a big-time hire. I think that's that's an attractive hire there for sure. Michigan lost so much from this national championship team that, A, it makes perfect sense for Harbaugh to leave. Like, if you're Harbaugh, you were building to that moment, you hit your peak, you won the title, you, of course, are facing some NCAA scrutiny. You have desires to go win the Super Bowl. Like, it was a perfect storm to leave. But also, you know, it does make it a reset for that for that program. That, that's, to me, the reason that maybe, like, I look at this Sharon Moore hire as even worse than I would in most years. Because, like, what are you trying to salvage? What are you trying to keep together? Your roster kind of is, is gone. Now, of course, there's going to be talent there. They recruited well. But, like, it's not going to be a championship-level team next year. No, it's true. It's true. 
um, a couple of the other outsiders because they they also put in Jesse Minter, who's the DC at Michigan, and Michael Hard, who's the running backs coach, which. I don't get that at all. If it's going to be an internal hire, it's going to be Sharon Moore. Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess they're giving Mike Hart the rub just for being a former Michigan player. Right. But yeah, he's not he's not getting that job. It's either going to be Moore or nobody else yeah. in terms of people on staff now. Right. So the other outside names that came up, um, uh, God, pains me to say it, but I'm not surprised. Eli Drinkwitz. Um, that feels like... I to me he he did a great job last season. I I do feel that's that's an awfully big stage for someone like him. He's not going to be yeah. considered for that job. Yeah. Um hey, there's Matt Campbell again. That that surprises the hell out of me. It's like uh as they say here his star has dimmed. I'd say you damn right it has. I I don't understand that one at all. Chris Kleiman from Kansas State, that's Interesting. I don't think he'd be getting the job either, but I'd say he's more interesting as a as an option than Matt Campbell and Eli Drinkwitz. To, to me, it's more getting promoted. It's Lance Leopold and it's Chris Kleiman. Like yeah. to me, those are the only three options, and like they would get all three of those guys. Like they're not going to have trouble getting turned down. Right. They're not going to have to do a search, and they're not going to go out and get people raises. It's either going to be, hey, we promote the guy that's here. That called like twenty straight runs against Penn State. Didn't throw the ball after the first quarter. I believe the stat was like we're going to hire that guy to run our team, or we're going to go out and get one of these guys who have proven it at the D two level that have had good starts to their you know Power Five careers that I you know that that we think are really sharp and really smart coaches. To me, those and like you know. You, you you can hire Kansas State's coach. You can hire Kansas coach. They're not going to tell you no. So it's just whether or not who who Michigan wants, they're going to get in this situation. When I talk about Sharon Moore, though, like I feel like what he did this year was pretty easy. In the sense of like the team was a machine, and you could just run the ball against opponents and and, and beat them. I don't know what he had to actually do, and like the they had a you know leadership all throughout that team, and they had Harbaugh still able to kind of coach them during practice and put the game plan, and he just couldn't be there on Saturdays. I would be really worried about promoting that guy just because he went four and zero and kind of kept your season together and is crying after he beat Penn State and and gets to beat Michigan, or excuse me, gets to beat Ohio State. Like I get all that, but it's a completely different thing to to run the program. Throughout college football history, Sam, maybe you can find a list or maybe you know some guys off the top of your head, but like, how often has this worked out where you have kind of just taken your coordinator and put him in charge of the program? Like, to me, the only one that stands out to me is Jimbo Fisher. Has there been anybody else throughout history that's gotten the, the coach and waiting treatment that's actually worked out? Bob, is there anybody you can think of? Lincoln Riley jumps off the page to me at Oklahoma. Okay. Yeah, Lincoln Riley's a good one, one too. Lincoln Riley's a good one too. Good job by you, Sam. That was also Lincoln Riley's first time being a head coach, right? Because that was the same for Jimbo. Jimbo had been a coordinator at different stops, but hadn't gotten a chance to be a head coach. And it worked out for him at Florida State until it didn't, but it did work out. Of course, you know, peaking with the national championship in, in 2013. 
Can't think of another one, at least off the top of my head. Lincoln Riley's a good one. That's a good one. Similar situation where the head coach just uh, retires. Of course, Stoops was younger, of course, than, than Bobby Bowden was. But similar situation to to Harbaugh, at least. Stoops and Harbaugh kind of on a I guess uh, Kirby Smart, obviously. No, nah, I don't count him because he didn't okay. take over that program. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm not talking about just coordinators getting a chance to coach because, I mean, Dan Lanning's been good at that. I just mean kind of stay, like, in-house. I, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, was Larry Coker was on the staff at Miami. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was a coordinator or if he had had, like, any head coaching experience or whatever. At his age, I would assume that wasn't his first, like, head coaching job, but maybe it was. Yeah. It says here that Moore has made calls in recent weeks to fill his staff in preparation. I guess you just do that as a preemptive move anyway because it wasn't official till yesterday. Well, Michigan Harbaugh. was also being pretty, I don't want to say complimentary, but it did kind of come across as complimentary where they were like, hey, yeah, Harbaugh pretty much told us he's going to the NFL. Like, he's interested in the NFL, and he's like communicating with us and let us know like pretty much if he gets an offer, he's, he's out of here. So I, I would imagine that Michigan was – preparing more for the succession plan. And I'm sure Harbaugh told more like, hey, yeah, there's a, probably a pretty good chance I'd try to get out. And I would imagine he knows, you know, yeah. based off of, I mean, the last two years, Harbaugh's basically been begging to get a job. Yeah, and so when you when you hear that, when you see what they're saying about more making calls, then it sounds like maybe it's fait accompli that it's going to it's gonna happen that way. Um, again, I as a, if I'm a Michigan fan, I just – there's a lot to be said for consistency in this day and age. I get that, but I don't know. Just feels a little milk toast to me. Yeah, Larry Coker had only been a high school head coach. I mean, he was he was older when he got the chance, I guess. But I guess he just looked old. He was only fifty one. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he wasn't old. He just kind of looked like it. Fifty one, fifty two, whenever he got that Miami job taken over after uh, after Butch Davis left. That's not old, John. No, I know. I, I'm saying I'm saying he looked old though. Like I, yeah. maybe it's from me being like you know ten or eleven when it happened, but like he he looked like he was a seventy year old I, man. I, but, you know, just when he was coaching Miami the first go round, or at least that's how I remember him. No, I agree. I agree. One of those unfortunate people that look old their whole lives. It happens sometimes. Sam, have you found any other instances of guys you know kind of getting the interim tag or the the coach and waiting taken off of them? Not really. Not really. I've been kind of. Trying to scour anything, there yeah. hasn't been too many people that have. So Lake and Riley playoff, you know that's a success. That's a success. Jimbo Fisher national championship success. So okay, it can happen. Doesn't happen often though. I can't even really think of guys that had failed, you know, doing it though. Like, are there any instances of guys taking over and failing? Because I mean, so far we've had two success stories. Uh, Scott Frost. What Scott Frost do? Was he? Because I mean, he he failed at Nebraska, but he had proven. I mean, he won a national championship. Sam, I don't know if you're familiar, but him and Danny White teamed up for a national championship. He wasn't a guy. I don't think that I would say fits this criteria at all. Because he did leave and go be a head coach. So maybe Sir Ron Moore could keep it rolling. Who knows? What about um? Found this interesting that Michigan. They say that Michigan. It might have been just their last-ditch effort that they offered Harbaugh immunity Yeah, um, if he stayed. Well, they basically gave him the uh, they basically gave him the Bill Self treatment, where yeah. Bill Self got the new contract, and they're basically like, hey, we can't punish you for anything that we, we know has happened that you're being investigated for. We're giving you that kind of immunity. Yeah. And, like, they did specify, like, hey – Jim Harbaugh, you can't get in trouble for the, any of the two current NCAA investigations. 
But if you get in trouble again, get investigated again, you know, we might do something to you then. But, yeah, that's kind of the Bill Self thing. Like, hey, yeah, you got in trouble with Adidas. You did all that. But we're not going to punish you for it. And Michigan also said, hey, we're going to have a clause that automatically makes you the highest paid college football coach. Whenever someone else gets a raise, we'll give you a raise, too, to keep you ahead of them. Now, you could say that was a legitimate offer, or you could say that, like, Michigan was... Whenever I saw that story come out yesterday, I was kind of like, oh, Michigan's prepared for him to lose. Where they could say, hey, we tried everything. And that was kind of like what the statement was they put out. was like, hey, we offered him a new contract, but his heart's just elsewhere. Now that college football has left, you know, we're talking about guys who are leaving, but with Saban... And Harbaugh retiring, we only have three coaches in college football that currently have a national championship that are active. Kirby Smart and Dabo, and then Mac Brown. Um, Mac Brown's still active, but those are our three coaches with national championships. I don't even really consider Mac Brown a part of that because he's not going to be in the mix at North Carolina for another one, right? At least I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, obviously his best days are behind him and, and his Carolina program is basically an 8-4 and four program. So it's, there, there's going to be a Harbaugh Bowl in the NFL, in the, the coming NFL season. Yeah, I'm trying to not think about how nauseating that's going to be, Bob. I'm trying to think of positive about Harbaugh going back to the, <laughs> uh, the NFL. I don't... You know, but maybe his brother wins another one this year, and it kind of puts him puts him behind the eight ball in, in terms of chasing him. By the way, have you seen the video of uh, John Harbaugh dancing in the locker room with I did. the team? I mean, yeah. I'm I'm no dancer, but man, that that needs to. <laughs> you didn't like it? Oh no, I liked it, I, but for you know, not the reasons like I thought it was good. It was just it was gold in a comedic way. For nothing the... nothing is easier to pop people than being the the head coach, the older white head coach especially, that's willing to do dance moves or, or do anything. Like, even like, hey, Jim Harbaugh said he'll get a tattoo if we go 15-0. and 0. Ha, ha, ha. Like, here's an old man getting a tattoo. He's white. And you're like, okay, I mean, I guess. Plenty of people have tattoos. I'm not really that worried. But, like, Rick Pitino got a tattoo on his ass when Louisville won a championship. Ha, ha, ha. Look at this guy. It's easy to do. Here's this guy dancing. It's great. <laughs> We're gonna get the Harbaugh Bowl next year. Yeah, play yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's, uh, it's at it'll be in, in L.A. Go ahead and pencil that in for a Sunday night football. I would, yeah, I would assume. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Maybe uh, even Week One, if the Ravens win the Super Bowl, might be a Thursday night kickoff. But week they, One, but they have to host it. You know what I mean? They would. Oh, it's, they, yeah, they, you're right. It's, it's in L.A. Never so mind. Yeah, that would that would be. I'm sure uh, NBC would love that opportunity, but probably won't happen but they don't always host but yeah most of the time the vast majority there's a couple of times i think when the giants won i believe they opened up in jerry's world after their super bowl in 2000 was it 2012 maybe after they had won in 11 i believe they opened up the season in jerry's world didn't get the home game yeah because i believe that was the first time dallas had opened their stadium so they have made some exceptions but i would assume they probably wouldn't do that baltimore did baltimore had that happen to them as well after their super bowl they played in denver to open up the season because it was Peyton Manning's first game mm-hmm. back the night Peyton threw like seven touchdowns against them or whatever it was. <laughs> Maybe it was Peyton's second year in Denver. I don't remember, but Baltimore got their ass kicked in Denver, opening up their Super Bowl defense. 
So it has happened. It will be a primetime game where whenever it is. Well, yeah, that, that, that's a luck yeah. for sure. I just wouldn't be surprised if it was week one if they win the Super Bowl, but they still have to, you know, win a couple games to do that. If you're Michigan and you're a Michigan fan, you you take this deal, obviously, right? We we always talk here in Tennessee. If you win a national championship, you can pretty much put up with anything over the next ten years. Anything that comes out of it, cheating scandal, whatever, you won the title. Coach leaving, kind of leaving you in shambles. I, I doubt there are many Michigan fans that are running around mad at Jim Harbaugh today, right? Like they're all kind of yeah. understanding. I think so. I, I can't imagine many of them are, are surprised. Um, I, I think I, you're right. You get a chance to win a natty, you you take it and don't look back. And what happens is the residual effect of it. It happens, and it's not the first time we've seen a coach walk after that. So um, we haven't really seen a coach walk and take another job though after the, after winning a national championship. I mean, not not in recent history. I know they said that, so you know what. Johnny Major Johnny Majors did that at Pittsburgh, right? Like right. left Pittsburgh after that and went back home. But like in recent history, like I mean, sometimes maybe people retire after championships, but very rarely do they take a different job. So that's a different wrinkle. It is. Um but Yeah, I it, but I I put myself in the shoes of a Michigan fan. Man, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan, I agree, you win a national title, you take whatever comes with that afterwards. That's true. I think a lot of people in Knoxville would be upset if we won a national title and Josh Eiffel just went to the NFL. So, yeah, see you later. I'm going to the NFL now. <laughs> you think so? I think a lot of people probably I mean, would. I, I mean, bummed, yes, but like bitter. Yeah, maybe not like genuinely mad. Yeah. Bitter, I don't know. Bitter I, for I sure. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'd like to find out. Win a national championship, yeah. Josh, and then let me know. I'll let you know how I feel when you go to the NFL. That I'll be fine. I think I, it would I think. be. I would be far more – fine with him going to the nfl if this is probably unprecedented it doesn't probably happen often at all that they go to another college job sure that yeah. that that would be yeah then you'd have people livid i totally get that hour one of the books we'll kick off hour two with a recap of things you might have missed from the night before it's the morning show here on fan run radio